It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And welcome to Pumpkin Bear episode 88. Connor, who's 88? Um, I'll have to check it out. We'll we'll edit this and we'll we'll do it later. We'll figure, yeah, we'll fig- we'll figure it out after. Oh, David Postrock, David Postrock episode. Oh yeah, I yeah, think it right. might be him. You're right? Yeah. Or if Patrick Kane came to the Bruins, you know, if the Bruins actually tr- uh, pulled the trigger on a deal for Patrick Kane, uh, maybe I don't know what would would Kane be like eighty seven? Maybe that would be. What they would just add another eight. He'd be eight eight eight. Yeah. 888 yes uh hey you know what they're gonna get to the point where like the celtics are gonna retire so many numbers they're gonna have to pretty much guys out there like 104 and you know 130 just embrace it just do it who cares once you're the first one who you know it's like uh john henry and moneyball like the first one through the wall is always the bloodiest one but once you do that you like set the trend for everyone else just going to triple digits who cares we're gonna have to start doing that and like by the playoffs, you're going to be hitting triple digits. So, oh yeah, and the same with the Yankees. The Yankees are going to be exactly use the triple digits. But uh, I'm Evan Marinovsky. That is Connor Ryan. Connor, what is up? Evan, doing well. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. And we are a few days away from the deadline, so the dust has settled. You know, in Bruins beat, we like full reacted in the moment. Now we've kind of the dust is we've been allowed to sort of take take stock of what we have. Uh, and the Bruins went out, they solidified their back end. They did not do anything up front. Obviously the people on Twitter, a lot of Bruins fans are saying they didn't do enough up front. That's, you know, they're not looking at the the defense They're looking at just what was done up front. Uh, what is your reaction to the deadline? Yeah, I think, you know, it's like most, uh, debates we've had on this podcast where there's very, you know, two very contentious sides. I think we can find something in the middle, right? In that, I think Ooh, uh, Bruins, wrong answer. <laughs> I know exactly. People just clicked off the podcast. Nope. They switched. Like, nope. Uh, but no, you look at where this team is. They clearly got better. Uh, you get a guy like Campus Lindholm is going to help out your team, not just in terms of just his talents and what he brings, but just the versatility of now. You got Grizzly McAvoy, Lindholm, Kala. You can switch those two. It gives you so many options, and it it gives an already established strength of your team another shot in the arm and we've talked about it for years about how much they need uh more defensive help another legit top four minutes eating guy and a guy like Lindholm is that uh I think for a lot of Bruins fans I think it's more of just the disappointment of not adding another piece because it just felt like there was another shoe to drop it's like if you're watching uh uh the Empire Strikes Back and has that great cliffhanger we're like, oh man, stuff's gonna go down, and they just never release the other movie. I think that's kind of like what Bruins fans felt like in the immediate aftermath of uh, Monday's deadline. 
and it feels like now people have started to get the rationale. They started to, you know, see what the, what kind of went down there that Bruins are clearly looking to add up front. I don't think that's a, a question. And you could make the argument they, they needed it, right? Because you're still going into it with whether it's Eric Holla, 2C, or DeBrusque on the top line. You'd like to a little bit more reassurance there. But you kind of look at what the market was, right? Are you looking to acquire a guy like Andrew Kopp, who maybe would have helped, right? Like, he's a good player, but he's kind of that, like, Charlie Coyle, probably best suited as a 3C, like, rounds out your depth if you're a, a already pretty loaded team. And you look at what the Rangers gave up for him, right? Like it's a conditional pick, which is probably going to be a first rounder if they win two rounds, a second round pick, a pretty solid AHL prospect in Barron, and a fifth round pick. Bruins gave up like Brian Donato for Jolly for Jolly Coyle, right? Like, <laughs> are you are you that comfortable giving up that many assets for a guy like Cop who helps, but is he going to put you over the top? Is adding Andrew Cop going to make you a favorite against? Florida or Tampa or any of these other teams. I don't think so. Same with Raquel, who I'm sure the Bruins would have loved to bring him on board with Lindholm. Uh, it would make a lot of sense. They're like best buds. But if the cost was too high, Raquel, who has kind of been on a, a bargain bin contract for a while, wanted to hit the market and didn't want to talk negotiations. Bruins aren't giving up like a very solid AHL player and like a second round pick and more for a guy that probably wants to, you know, cash out this summer. So then you add in the, the obvious ones in terms of would the Bruins would have loved to get Connor Gallant? Of course. Tomas Hurdle? Of course. But, you know, I think uh, we were talking to Ty Anderson about it. He made a good point. It's one thing if the Bruins, you know, stood pat, didn't do anything, and Tomas Hurdle went to the Rangers, and Connor Garland went to Carolina. And you're like, what? The-? Then people would be losing their minds. You can't do much if the other team is, you know, not moving Garland or San Jose is just blissfully going right into an iceberg, a fiscal iceberg in terms of signing hurdle. Like what can you do in that situation? So again, it's probably disappointing. I imagine people have started to see what other factors were in play there and probably a little bit more accepting of what happened. Again, the Bruins are a better team. You would have liked to have another forward, but you're also not going to be mortgaging valuable assets to acquire a guy that maybe marginally helps you, which seems like that was the only thing out there on the market right now for them. Yeah. I mean, again, it wasn't like the Mark Stone sweepstakes or the Ryan McDonough sweepstakes where you just didn't pull the trigger on anything. Like this was, these guys didn't move like Brock Besser, Connor Garland. They didn't go anywhere. So what do you like, what are you going to do? And Tom Marshall, same thing. Like, are you going to be like, like, are you going to like physically like grab his hand as he signs the contract? Like, no, 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 no. You're coming with us. Um, the other thing about the Bruins fans wanting offense, it's kind of like, remember when you were little on Christmas and like, you would just want more things to open. You didn't care like what the gift was. You just wanted more things, yes. right? You just wanted other stuff. And it feels like that was kind of the deal with this. Cause again, a guy like Andrew Kopp on a team that again, and I've said this to you before, like Andrew Kopp to me was a guy that you would do if you needed to solidify your third line, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're just getting a depth piece, that's Andrew Kopp, that's Andrew yeah. Kopp. And to me, he just didn't, again, as you said, he doesn't put you um, over the top. Andrew Kopp doesn't push you over the top. Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally even like like Josh Brown, who, again, fills a need, right? Like in terms of added depth, a guy that could be useful in the playoffs. He's pretty much just another tenority, more or less. Like, I don't think he's a guy that's going to shift the fortunes in your favor over a playoff run. Good to have him, but I think when like the Bruins made that trade, people were just naturally excited. Like, Oh, it's a new guy. Holy shit. He beats the shit out of people. Like this, this is great. Right. Like, Oh my God. He, that's the guy who like flattened Trud, 
Pride and Frederick in that one game in November. So, uh, no, definitely from what you said, like, even if they acquired a guy like who else got moved, like Mott, like one of these other guys, yeah. like wouldn't be a top six guy, but people would be like, well, it's something. All right. Like, well, I think it's, just, it's, it's that new kind of like, you know, you know, smell in terms of just even if it's a guy that isn't a top six, people will be excited about. It. So the fact that there wasn't another shoe to drop, I'm sure is disappointing, but you take the look at the Bruins are improved this year and they didn't give up, you know, valuable assets that who knows, maybe they cash in this off season or you hold on to Lysel and Laura and maybe they make a push later this year, next year. Like there's plenty of positive you can spin out of this, even though, you know, we'll see what happens. We could be recording in May and the Bruins are offenses dried up. People will be yelling at us on YouTube uh, about the fact that they should have given up a first for Raquel, who then is going to make, six and a half million this off season. But again, I, I don't have much of a problem with how the Bruins handled it, considering what hands they were more or less dealt with this market. Yes. That really seemed like it. You mentioned Fabian Lysel. Now this is something I mentioned on Bruins beat that we would get to on poke the bear. We're going to get to it now. Uh, that is a guy who people are kind of kicking around and saying, hmm, maybe he's an addition to the top six. Now you think about it, Martian Bergeron Lysel. That's a very fun uh, kind of reality. That's a fun thing to think about, but you do have to be realistic. Sounds like he's definitely done in the WHL after this season. Seems like he's definitely going to be in Providence. Uh, it just comes down to whether or not he can make it to the NHL level. And I found a very interesting Bruins network tweeted um, about how he'd watched, I guess, every Fabian Lysel game this season. I'll be honest. I have not watched every game this season. And I watched the WHL. Up. I'm not like spoke Z who watches every single second of hockey around the world. Um, but Uh, And I respect that. Like that is, that is, I respect that a lot. Um, But uh, Bruins network was saying things like, you know, he's got a lot of skill. His shots great. He's starting to score a lot more goals. He's shifty. It just comes down to the physicality, right? Like guy like McAvoy came right into the NHL after a little bit in Providence, but he was big. Like that kid could move people. Lysel's a little bit smaller. He's not as filled out, but he is shifty. So again, it's not like you could just kill him. Like it, you have to catch up to him to, to really lay into him. Um, do you see a guy? I mean, what are the chances that Lysel does come to Boston this year? Uh, for this playoff run, especially, I would still give it like 10, 15%. I think he's definitely going pro in terms of I, mm. if Vancouver yes. season ends and I think it's like April 16th is their last game. I don't know how far they're, they're going to go. Cause I think they're like seven games under 500 right now. They're not, I think going very can far. Can Fabian Lysel win? That's what the people are wondering. Can, yeah, can exactly. win? I mean, Give it on. a few years. Give it a few years, Evan. <laughs> I'm sure that will. Uh, but you look at, uh, I think he's definitely going pro in terms of he finishes out this season, probably in Providence, maybe get some look, uh, some looks in the Calder Cup playoffs, which if that's where he ends this year, that's a great step in the right direction for a guy who made the, the big jump adjusting to the North American game, going from Sweden all the way over to Vancouver. Uh, bit of an adjustment there. So if he ends his first year after getting drafted with, you know, leading his WHL team in scoring, ends it in Providence and makes an impact there, which you hopefully like to see, great. And that sets you up for who knows, maybe he makes a push in training camp uh, next year and he figures somewhere along the lines into the NHL role or he gets a whole year in Providence, kind of like what Jake DeBrus did, where he spent a whole season down there and did well. Whichever way you spend it's a positive. Now, could he go to Providence, you know, at the, the end of April and light it up? And all of a sudden it's like, you know, he's got five goals in six games. Then maybe the Bruins take a look at it again. I think 
it would probably have to be a situation where as exciting as it is for Lysel and for fans who want to see how he does probably means something going a little bit haywire up at the NHL level, right? Like, because you look at where he fits in. It probably either means that like that third line is running out of steam or Jake DeBrusque is not uh, fitting in there on that top line or like Pasternak's hurt, right? Like, I don't know where exactly if all those lines are going well, you don't need to rush him, right? Like, you know, it's one of those situations where I think he's only going to get called up. Same with McAvoy. Like, people talk about McAvoy, and that was a special example, even though I think you have to have a little bit of caution with looking at guys like McAvoy or Kreider, who went from NCAA and, like, Hockey East. A little bit of a different tier. Like, they're playing against a lot of older guys. WHL's got 16, Or, or, 17. or like Kale. Kale McCarr yeah, is not exactly. There. Yes, of course. I'm sorry not to mention... UMass Amherst, but uh, no, you look UMass. at this. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, but, yes, but you look at uh, those guys and even McAvoy, how great he was in that series. He only really got called up because the Bruins' decor was decimated, too. Like, don't forget, they, were, <laughs> no they, they, they necessarily didn't want to, like, you know, sign him to that entry level deal because you burn a year, right? So it's something that they don't take lightly. Again, if he goes down to Providence and lights it up, then Maybe it's worth that risk, but uh, whichever way you spin it, even though it's probably very unlikely that he gets reps in the NHL, like I, I don't know how well it is like one year into your, you know, post-drafted career, you're all going up against Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough and Eric Chernak and those guys, a little intimidating. Uh, but again, even if he just stays in Providence, that still should be viewed as a, a major step forward for Boston's top prospect one year after getting drafted. I just looked at the 2017 Ross uh, lineup for game one against the Senators. Uh, Chara McQuaid, top okay. pairing, and that changed. Uh, but again, Chara McQuaid, game one, Kevin Miller, Charlie McAvoy, John Michael Lyles, Connor Miller, uh, Connor Miller, Colin Miller. Yes. They were out of defensemen. I remember that like being like they were completely out of defense. I think Tommy Cross had a game, didn't he? Didn't he like did. Tommy Cross play? Tommy Grizzly Cross was in. There's like got a few games, I think, right? Like, yeah, it was weird. Like, yeah, that was, it was just like definitely, uh, you know, people were, I remember people being angry that the Bruins lost to the Senators. And I was like, you, you, you had nobody. And yes. up front, up front, I mean, again, like uh, the first line, Marshan, Bergeron, Bacchus, Stafford, Krejci, Pasternak, Schaller, Dominic Moore, Riley Nash, Petrano, Spooner, Bolesky. I mean, that was a, awful lineup that lineup's and, not doing and a thing you, and you also had like 96 era uh eric carlson that was like yes eric carlson won that series by himself he was so freaking good that whole series oh so, my god again insane easy bet to bet on uh, eric carlson and the senators in that series when we're talking really good bets really safe bets our good friends over at bet online Right you are, Evan. Listen up, guys. It's that time of year as college basketball takes center stage and the tournament is finally upon us. If you're looking to wager this year, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your updated odds and information, along with great contests, including the bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. At CLNS50. And it's not just college hoops. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering needs, including live betting, hockey, MMA, and your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. BetOnline, where the game 
Stats. Stats. Where the game stats. Okay, so we will get into uh, since we're, we're since we're on the topic of forwards, and we kind of hit on it before. We'll get to DeBrusque. Uh, Jake DeBrusque signs a two-year extension, four million per. Uh, surprised a lot of people. I woke up to that because I was working very late the night before, and I woke up to that, and I said, "Wow, this is going to be a freaking crazy day." And then nothing happened. <laughs> that no, was nothing it. happened. And that was it. But but uh, Jake DeBrusque signs this extension. Uh, his comments make it pretty clear. He spoke after the Montreal game on Monday. They make it pretty clear he's bought in. Uh, and I think, again, this is an instance where, like, there's a lot in this for him, too. Because, again, he wants to get traded. And the team who, who he wants to be traded from needs to trade him for a good package, which means he needs to play well. So, again, I think it really comes down to him uh, being at his best. And it seems like he's pretty bought in. Yeah, I think for as uncomfortable, awkward of a situation as this can be, especially one where this trade request has been, one, it's been standing since last summer. And also you've got (laughs) a situation where it became public in November. So this has been going on for a while. Uh, The fact that, you know, DeBrusque has been pretty candid uh, now that he's, you know, speaking to the media about it. Um, It doesn't seem like it's an issue in the room, what have you. It seems like everyone's kind of taken, maybe not the high road, but DeBrusque has been at least a good soldier, it seems, in terms of he reads what the situation is. This extension, even though the Bruins ideally would have probably liked to have traded him, again, depends on what the market was. If Vancouver was offering a guy like Garland and, you know, you had to sweeten the pot with something else and you moved DeBrusque there, maybe you do that. Who knows? But um, nothing kind of more or less manifested on the market to do that. But for the Bruins, uh, you sign him to this contract. One, it gives any team interested in him cost certainty in terms of what, you know, his value is. It's pretty much market value for a 20 goal scorer uh, in terms of a $4 million cap hit. Wipes out that qualifying offer, which I think was essential in terms of it being something that would have scared away some uh, teams that are interested in getting the brusque. So it makes plenty of sense. Now it all just hinges on uh, you hopefully don't embracing the risk of what would happen if, you know, DeBrusque game fizzles out because not only does that, impact that top line where all of a sudden you're left scrambling again. You don't really have another depth piece that will slot in there, but also if he's not playing well, then who knows what your value is going to be. We're going to get to the draft and it's going to be a second round pick or something, which is not what the Bruins want to do. If you're giving up a 20 goal scorer who wants out, you'd like to have some other impact piece coming back. So again, there's plenty of ways you can map out how this can go wrong. Plenty of other ways you can map out how it can go right, right? Like there's if if that's pl- true, if, yeah. If he's playing well and he's staying with that Martian Berger line, where the chances are going to be there, if he just plays his game, hangs around the great AI, he's, he's going to score some goals, right? Like he's going to raise his value. It's never usually been an issue for him in terms of the playoffs and how he's fared there. So if they go on a run, no matter how far it goes, a round or two, even further, he's probably going to score some goals and raise that stock. So and if it gets to the point where, um. He hasn't been an issue down the stretch here and he's getting production and the Bruins are able to kind of give him that fresh shot that he wants and get a useful piece in return. It seems like everyone wins out of a scenario that for a long time has been probably pretty uncomfortable for a lot of guys. Yeah. And again, it hinges on a lot because, again, if he doesn't produce, you're screwed because, again, that talk, I, we, I've said this a million times now, like the, the reason I see them doing well at all is because they have depth up front, right? But if that hinges on your top, like the default is your top line is good. Um, And again, you don't like, what do you, you put Oscar Steen up there, Jack Stagnica, like, do you want to go into the seven game series with the Panthers doing that? Probably not. Um, And the other thing is like, again, if you can't, like, 
if, if you have to move Craig Smith up to the top line, right, that completely changes the dynamic of the top line. Then you move DeBrusque back to the third line. That completely changes the third line's dynamic, which has been working now for about two months. So I think it comes down to like, you better hope this works. And again, I think, I think it will. I do think it will work to a point. I don't think DeBrusque is going to go off and like lead the Bruins to a Stanley Cup or anything like that. But I do think he will produce enough to where they can deal him at the, at the draft day, or they can deal him just during the summer for something for, for a legitimate piece. Um, And they're not rushed by it. I think the deadline rushed them again. I also thought the best time to strike was right after that went public in November. But again, I don't think the deals were that great because DeBrusque's numbers were not anything um, remotely special. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch um, over these next two months. 19 games, I think. Is it, I think it's 19, 19 games. games left. 19, 19 games. games left. We're almost, we're down, the, we're going down the stretch. We're on like the, the back nine of the regular season, so to speak. Um, and for Bruins fans and the Bruins, hopefully many more games come uh, after the regular season. Uh, another interesting thing though, and this is uh, kind of a good problem. We go from, I guess, a, a big risk to not a big risk is on the back end. Now you suddenly have depth. You got a lot of plug in place. You can do a lot of different things. Lindholm was with McAvoy today uh, at practice or on Wednesday at practice. Do you see this sticking? Yeah, at least to start, uh, you know, Bruce Cassidy more or less acknowledged that, you know, yeah, they know how well Grizzik and McAvoy are, but I think they'd be remiss not to see what kind of a super pairing you could potentially get with Lindholm and McAvoy. Like, it, Of course, they're going to give them a try. And what better kind of trial by fire is there than, against Tampa Bay. Like if you're going up against Kucherov and those guys and, and they'll get a, a good example of what, uh, what that pairing could offer. And again, as you said, they have options now, if that line or if that pairing uh, is just pedestrian or they struggle, uh, then it's a pretty good contingency plan to have Grizzly and McAvoy back together and Lindholm, who's still a stabilizing guy next to Brennan Kahlo. And that's not even factoring in how you deal with that third pairing as well, where right now you're probably looking at, Forbert and Riley on the, on the right side. But again, if Riley struggles in that spot, you've got Clifton who in a pinch has been a pretty established as a solid depth defenseman. You got Josh Brown who has an extra wrinkle uh, as a more physical guy out there. So, um, and I, I'm really intrigued by that third pairing too. I think if it works well, we talk about Riley that, you know, he's probably not on a very good team, a top four defenseman, but you look at what his skill set is. If he's on the third pair, and he's getting easier matchups, and he's allowed a little bit more leeway against third lines or fourth lines to kind of move the puck a little bit more freely without the risk of getting burned down the other end of the ice. That's when it seems like he's playing at his best, right? When he's able to kind of free his game up and, and create those kind of stretch passes or plays in the offensive zone that lead to grade A chances. So whichever way it kind of maps out, there's a lot of intrigue and like positive intrigue. It's not intrigue like DeBrusque where it's like, Shit, I really hope this works. Like it's, <laughs> they've got many ways they can kind of uh, fine tune this defense and, and see how it pans out. But it seems like for right now, at least, you're looking at Lindholm and McAvoy to start against Tampa. Yeah, and again, I think that could work. And as you said, like it's a pretty good backup plan to have Grizzlick and McAvoy there, which I think is the move. I think the numbers there are so overtly good yes. that it feels like that's what you kind of have to go for. Um, and again, I think again Lindholm could elevate Carlo. Carlo Kelly at Lindholm's defensive game. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting things there. And you mentioned the third pairing as well. I think that's another really cool part where, you know, Derek Forbes is big. I think, I think Mike Riley out of all six uh, defensemen that we've mentioned, 
I think he's the guy kind of most fighting for his job in a sense where like Grizzlick yes. and Lindholm kind of do his thing, but on a, on a better level. Right. And again, like a guy like Mike Riley, uh, you know, you're, you're not looking to him for shutdown defense. You are yes. with Derek Forbert. You're not with Mike Riley. So again, if Mike Riley's not playing so hot or he's not playing well, you can put in a right shot defenseman with Josh Brown or Connor Clifton, or like, I guess if you're playing a bigger team in the playoffs, maybe you could go Forbert Brown. Yeah. It seems a little iffy, just like given, I don't know if that's really going to work out, but and at the very least it's option. an option though, right? You have yeah, that option, all... right? Like that's the biggest thing. If you're getting thrown around in a series, maybe you say, hey, we're going to put Josh Brown out there and let him run over people uh, or fight some people who knows. Um, but a lot of interesting things from this deadline. I mean, the, 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 the defense to me just looks so much more elevated, right? Like you, and, and credit to the Bruins on this, they actually found like a kind of a franchise top four left shot defenseman in Hampus Lindholm, right? Like we always say it's hard to find those pieces long-term at the deadline. They actually did find one and they did last year with Taylor Hall at wings. So clearly those things uh, seem to be working out quite well. Uh, what can the people look forward to from you over at Boston Sports Journal? Yeah, it will be an interesting day uh, today as this podcast drops. Obviously, it's a, a game against Tampa where not only is a good measuring stick for the Bruins, uh, plenty of standings implications. Uh, if if the Bruins win, they actually can leapfrog Tampa in the standings. You've got how a guy Lindholm fares in this game, which will be fascinating to see how he meshes with a guy like McAvoy. Uh, so we'll have all that breakdown from uh, Thursday's game. Have a feature that's going to drop in a few days related to, once again, goalies. But it's a Ooh. fascinating subject. So uh, look forward to that over the next couple of days over at BSHA. So a whole bunch of stuff over at bostonsportschannel.com. So please subscribe. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Poke the Bear listeners. Have a great rest of your day. 